Super Talk Mississippi media production. This is Thunder and Lightning here on Super Talk Mississippi. Brian Haydad and Joel T. Coleman with you on a Wednesday morning. Very good day for you. Very good day for us, Joel. We missed it yesterday, technically. Technically, we missed it yesterday. But this is one year of Thunder and Lightning today. Actually, as we're recording, it's one year, too. Look at that. Yeah, the ninth. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So today is our one-year anniversary. Well, happy anniversary, Brian. Yeah. I don't have any gifts. I didn't get you anything. This is my bottle of water. We can swear. I'll tell you what. Let's switch. Let's switch bottles of water. Yeah, that way I'd rather I have Dasani. You, I mean, I try. <laughs> Nothing's ever good enough, Joel. Uh, you realize it's water, right? I know. It's I the know. same. And, and I say that just, I guess, for... Fish make love in s- it. Somewhat. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. We're off the rails already. No, I, I say that just for banter on air. I, I actually quite frequently drink uh, I just, I, this, you know, non-name brand water. It's, it's just Nestle. Water. You know, they make chocolate. Isn't it? Yeah, look there. Yeah, I actually, thought, I thought it was great value. But no, 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 I bought it at the service. But station. hey, I've, I've, I've drank great value too. Nothing wrong. Great value. It's water. Water. It's all the same. There's very few bottled waters. In fact, I'm trying to think of two that you just taste and like, oh, those two taste different. Yeah, it's, it's not all, one. It's There's all not pretty one. much the same. Uh, wherever you're listening to our one-year anniversary, nothing special plan. I just brought it up. Uh, but wherever you're listening to us at supertalk.fm or wherever you get podcasts, we appreciate you, especially our great servicemen and women out there protecting our freedoms. And, of course, I want to give a shout-out to our sponsor, Strange Brew Coffee. Joel's got some Strange Brew right here. It He's is. drinking that before he gets to the water. It is. It is. Uh, you're going to be well hydrated at the end of this show. Yeah. Uh, and I actually just killed a 16-ounce water before I came in here. Didn't want this to get hot sitting in the truck it out will there, do that. So I brought it in. It will do that. But uh, I'm switching it up. I, I wish I knew her name. She's helping me uh, expand my horizons over at Strange Brew uh, every day. I, I was I was so much of a blueberry cobbler guy, mm-hmm. and uh, so every day I'm, I'm basically trying. They they rotate one thing on drip. They always have blueberry cobbler. I think they always have the house blend. Then there's one thing that they like rotate every day. Yeah. And uh, so every day she uh, tells me what it is, and every day I try something new. And today we are going with Southern pecan. How is that? It's great, man. It's, is it pecani? It's, it's it's got a nice little little tastes hint, like a slice of pecan little, little pie. Hint, so it, t- it tastes nice. All right, uh, pecan or pecan? Pecan. Thank you. I'll fight you. Thank you. I was just making this sure. This is the South. All right, it's pecan. Do you, I don't I don't trust people who say pecan. I, I actually do. I, I've heard a few people before say pecan, so I've heard that. But tomato, tomato. You ever heard anybody call it a tomato? The British. Like, That's it. I mean, I, nobody you, in America is saying tomato or potato for that matter. How do you say? I guess I'm about to reveal well, my try, southern. Try to try to give me the word. Try to describe what it is. Okay. I'm interested now. A a fish uh-huh. that we eat. A catfish. Well, no, it's obviously catfish. There's only one way to say that. But there's no. there's catfish. And maybe there's only one way to say what I'm describing. But uh-huh. growing up, maybe I just said it the wrong way. Uh-huh. There is a brim. I know how to do this. No, there are two Clarion Ledger. One's a former Clarion Ledger employee. One is a current Clarion Ledger employee. Uh-huh. One was a male. One is a female. The one that's still salmon. here is a female. Yes. Do you say it? Sa- have you ever said it? You don't salmon? say the L. It's salmon. See, growing up, I always said the L. Salmon. Now that I'm older, I, no. I say salmon. We had a but coach like, in St. Al named Coach salmon. salmon. You did yeah. not call him Coach Salmon. You did not. That would that would end in, in pain for you. Yes. But uh, sa- it's salmon. Yeah. Yes. As but, an adult, but Mackenzie's that's what I- last name is Salmon. Yes, yeah. with an L. With an, if you have a name, if that's your name, you say the L. The fish is a salmon. Yes. Period. I'm with you on that. Right. But growing up, I actually said the L. We learned. Oh, come on. 
Salmon? Did you, have, did you did your mom make salmon croquettes when you were growing up? Like, is that like the the fried patties? Yeah. Is that what you got? I didn't know it was called croquettes, but it, yes, yeah. absolutely. In that, fact, she does it to is, this. That is a southern mother staple. Does right it to there. this day? You, get, you, you walk in the house, man, and you just smell it from one end to the other. All, and the average southern mother knows how to fi- fix fish three ways: she can fry catfish. She can make salmon croquettes and she can cook fish sticks. That's it. All right. There's no there's no seared halibut happening in the average Southern household. I didn't know. I actually did not know they were called croquettes. But I tell you what, I have ate many a croquette in my day. Some yeah, patties. patties. Yeah. yeah, croquettes. Croquettes when they're like more like a, in a ball. Yeah. So well, hers are more patties. Okay. So anyway, you have they're bis- good. Get some biscuits going on. Now man. we're talking. Woo-hoo-hoo. Now we're talking. What a good show we're off to here. We got a good show. We got to talk about a uh, Texas A and M second half of the show. Got uh, Jeff Tarpley on with us today. He covers the Aggies for 24-7 Sports for Gig'em 24-7. Good interview with him. And the positional breakdown is what we're going to start with today, uh, and that's the wide receiver position. If you go back and look at my poll from uh, Monday. I have not looked, but I'm going to guess Jerry Judy won. That is that is the case. Boom. Jerry Judy did win that poll. Let me, make, let me double check. Let me, get, let me get the numbers going here. Yeah, 51% of the vote, 41% to Tua, only 8% for Derrick Brown. I think everyone knew this, but the question was if State could sign a free agent, free agent who would it who, be? Of those three guys. You know, uh, I, I do... Over 1,000 votes. Thanks, guys. I think some people commented on that, and I kind of agree with them in that, like, quarterback is such an important position. How do you not sign the quarterback? I, but, I, I, don't, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. But, like, but, Jerry Judy... Well, what some, I learned, I think, of these 1,000 people, 500 and some odd of them are believers in Tommy Stevens. They believe that Tommy Stevens can be a good quarterback, and that if you get him an elite wide receiver, he can elevate that. Yeah, that's that's how I'm going to look at that, and that's where we are now with with Mississippi State. Tommy Stevens can be a great quarterback, but if his receivers can't catch the ball and can't make plays, it doesn't really make a whole lot of difference. It's sort of like with the offensive line; if they don't block. Who cares? So the question is, Joel Coleman, Isaiah Zuber, second year with Gidry, Mitchell, Thomas. Are these guys going to become a real SEC caliber wide receiver core? I mean, if anybody sits here and immediately says yes, I'm not saying that they can't be, but that's wishful thinking, I think. I think it's wishful thinking to sit here and say with certainty, absolutely this group is going to be an elite you know, SEC caliber receiving core. I'm not saying that they won't be. They may very well turn out to be. Zuber may come to the SEC and keep up what he did last year at K-State when he led the team and had, what, six, 700 receiving yards and uh, was a you know their go-to guy and was a humongous piece for them. He may come here and do the same thing. Guidry, in the second year of the system, as a, as a senior, you know, out of JUCO, sometimes JUCO guys, it takes them a year to kind of get acclimated and things, and they really explode in the in their senior season. Maybe he does th- that again. Osiris Mitchell's basically had an upward career trajectory since he's been here, so you could very easily make the case that he's going to take another leap forward this year. If those three things happen, and you have three legit guys there with Zuber and Gidry and Osiris Mitchell, you darn right this can be an, a high-caliber SEC receiving core. But all that said, there's a lot of if there. There's a lot of if in what I just said. And and so could you also see a scenario in which Zuber comes to the SEC and he isn't quite as successful? And could you also see a scenario where Gidry and Mitchell kind of spin their wheels a little bit and it's more of the same and there's more drops? And you could see that too. So I, could they be? Yes. But I, I think that as you sit here today on July the 9th, which I guess as you listen, it may be July the 10th, but – Either way, 
all you can be is optimistic that maybe this group can take a, a step forward. And there are reasons to believe they can. But right now, it's just simply hope. I feel like Zuber is a guy I feel like you can depend on a little bit because he's done it at the P5 level. So I feel okay about him. I think you're right. But Gidry, Gidry is the one. There's the high ceiling there. We saw some flashes last year. His game against Texas A&M. He had a big catch against Ole Miss. He had a couple of big catches here and there. But he was never able to put together consistency. And for me, you know, the number one JUCO receiver out of, you know, in, in the recruiting cycle, you expect just a little bit more. So, it, it, do you think he's got the highest ceiling of any of these guys? I feel like yes. I, I'm kind of like you. I feel like Zuber. You kind of, sort of have a ballpark of what you think's going to happen there. Um, Gidry, I feel like if he lives up to his full potential that we thought when he came in. Like I think he could be superstar level, like kind of that that good. I mean, I, I, maybe maybe I oversold him a little bit when he came in last year. I just I really thought he was going to be. Oh, I did too. Really, 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 really good. I thought he was going to be a, a kind of player. And so, that, yeah. and and I haven't given up on that becoming the case. It could still become the case. And if it does, man, state is set. If you have Zuber doing what you think he's going to do, and Gidry performing at that kind of level. And you got the beast, Kylan Hill, back there in the backfield um, doing his thing. Tommy Stevens, is, you know, if he can be the kind of quarterback that you think that he might be. I mean, State's offense is going to take a humongous leap forward if all those things happen. Um, but, yeah, I think that Gidry could absolutely turn into something, you know, pretty special for this offense. I Last year, you'll remember, too, and I know we've talked about him a little bit, don't understand why he didn't redshirt a year ago, but I, I thought Devontae Jason was going to play a big part as a true freshman, you know, as, as a receiver, and he didn't. So I still got high hopes for him to step in and, and, and you know, be a lot more productive. He, he only had, what, two or three catches last year? I can't remember. I think what, it's three, yeah. I, you know, didn't do much from the offensive side. Uh, but I, I just feel like there's a lot of potential there with him, too. So – I don't know. There are pieces here in this receiving core to really give you optimism, but there's also not really a track record of anything to make you think that it's definitely going to happen. What you're dealing with here is that word potential, yeah. which means ain't done it yet. For me, the best case scenario for State is Zuber is what he is. You get, you get the same guy you got here. You get the same guy here that you got at Kansas State. Jason and Gidry hit their recruiting potential. You know what they what they what their profile says they should be doing, and then everybody else is just solid. And if you get that, yeah, you're gonna have a pretty. You're gonna have you know maybe a guy around 500 yards, another couple guys at 400, and you know everybody else around three between two and 300, and that's gonna be enough for Mississippi State. You mentioned Devontae Jason. I think he has you know maybe I, maybe I was wrong about the uh, the, the most ceiling because it might be him. But the problem with it is is I never saw it. Yeah, you know, I saw some flashes from Gidry, but Jason was never on the field enough. You know, is this sort of a make or break year for a guy? I mean, it's tough because he's a true sophomore, but you know, four star guy that you expect something from. Don't you? You got to see something from him this year, don't you? Well, I mean, I guess you could always be a late bloomer kind of deal and and come on, you know, junior senior year and 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 do something. But I don't know, if make or breaks the right way to say it. But you darn sure expect to see more out of him than you saw last year, which was nothing. Uh, and I'm not even saying it was his fault completely last year. Maybe, you know, maybe State just liked its other options better. He was a true freshman, was still get learning the ropes kind of deal. But uh, 
I do expect him to, t- to take a stride forward. You have to at this point. I mean, I think it's a major concern for his future if he's at the end of this season he only has, you know, five or less catches. You know, I, I think at that point, then you're like, I don't – it's hard to call anybody a bust after their sophomore season. But if he finishes this season with under five catches, that means he's going to have like, what, eight or less over his first two seasons. I think that's way, way under what anybody expected out of him. So uh, could he still progress beyond this year? Absolutely. I mean, he could grow over a, an off season into a, a superstar himself. But I, I, I truly think that there's a lot more potential there than that we haven't seen last year. You know, so I, make or break, I may be too strong, but you darn sure would like to see more out of him. This time a year ago, we were all thinking the leading receiver on the team was going to be Austin Williams. Where is he now? You know, that cat is a, like, scrimmage game superstar kind of deal. He's got the, the John, John Harris Award going. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, every time we see him in practice and in scrimmages and and uh, maroon-white games and, and that sort of thing, he, he excels, and he gets you excited for what his potential is and what he can do. And so I keep thinking that that's going to translate into a, an SEC season. I mean, you, you drew up the ideal scenario a while ago. Um, with State and what they could get out of these guys. I mean, if you do that, plus Austin Williams kind of becomes that guy that we see in scrimmages and stuff, holy cow, man, you, you've got some really legit options all over the field to throw the football to. Um, is this the year he takes off? Again, though, I, I feel like I'm I'm beating a dead horse over here, but with all these guys, there's so much if, 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 and shoulda, coulda, woulda, and maybes, and got the potential twos, and there's just not anybody – other than Zuber, who does have a bit of a, like you said, D1 track record, there's not anybody that you just hang your hat on and you say, I know what I'm going to get out of that guy. You know, there's – in Major League Baseball, teams like to sign pitchers that they know they can count on to log between 180 and 200 innings and, and kind of keep you in the game every start. They may not, you know, throw a shutout every time out, but they're going to be consistent and you kind of know what you're going to get. State really doesn't have that from a receiver standpoint uh, at all. Other than Zuber, who, like like we said, kind of developed that track record at K-State, they've got a bunch of wild cards, man. And yeah. they just got to hope that they hit. And if they do, State is fine. They are yeah. perfectly fine offensively. And if they don't, well, then you're stuck in first gear again all next year offensively, and you just got to hope Kylan Hill carries the offense, basically. Yeah, yeah. I, I, looking at last year, I think the top five receivers for State, now Kylan Hill was one of them, um, but I think they combined for like 1,100 yards receiving, something like that. That's that's not good. No. I think the, the number I came up with is 1,600. If your top five guys have 1,600 yards, you're probably going to be okay. If they can anything over that, and you're, you're probably in really good shape. Because then you're averaging you know over 300 yards per guy. And again, you say that doesn't seem like a lot. That would be a... Huge jump from a season ago. Um, if you get to 2,000 between those five guys, you're averaging 400 per person, you probably have one of the top offenses in the conference and, and probably one of the better ones in the country, assuming the running game is still there, which I assume it will be. So for me, this offense completely depends on what happens at wide receiver and, and, and I guess at quarterback. It's, the passing game is what's going to define this offense, it, for me, anyway. And, and, well, and that's I, what's defined Joe Moorhead's offense yeah. throughout his career. And – I mean, we all kind of have our sweet spots in life, our things we like to do, and if we get away from that, we're kind of out of our comfort zone a little bit. 
And I think last year's Mississippi State offense was out of Joe Moorhead's comfort zone. He had a quarterback that couldn't really stretch the field. He had receivers that didn't really stretch the field. And that's just not his forte. And I think that's why you saw State in games against LSU not move the ball so much. You know, against Alabama. I know that these are teams, you know, Alabama, who moves the ball in Alabama? Not many people do. But uh, I think that part of the problem there was Joe Moorhead was the square peg trying to get the square peg into the round hole because, man, he wanted to do his style of play and he just didn't have the exact pieces. And now, I mean, you've said it many times leading up to this day and you'll probably say it many times before then, but he's got his quarterback now. He's got uh, the guy to, to run the offensive style he likes to run. And so now with the he's got the square peg trying to fit it into the square hole, and so it should kind of fit. And it's kind of a little bit on the receivers to make sure that it fits. Um, but I, I'm interested to see, you know, how, how this, this, this receiving core does because as much as the, the focus will be on Tommy Stevens and his play, I, I can't emphasize enough how – you know, Fitzgerald and company were handicapped too at times yeah. by, by their by the receiving play, and, and that's you know we talked about drops and everything else. I mean, I think that you're look you look at Fitzgerald differently if some of those drops were caught. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I can think of two right off the top of my head. Yeah. You know, if the 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 Osiris Mitchell pass against Florida is caught, and then the pass in the bowl game is caught. Well, that's ten wins, and everybody's Nick Fitzgerald, one of our greatest quarterbacks you're, you're, ever. You're ten and three if two catches are made. Yeah, assuming you don't go to a different bowl game, but you know, it's fine. Who cares? Let's stay with the Outback Bowl. Who cares? So, yeah, the receivers have got to play better this year. I mean, State has not gotten great play from its receivers. Now, granted, part of that is you know Fitzgerald and his limitations. But here's the thing: with all of Fitzgerald's limitations, Fred Ross still caught eighty passes. <laughs> For nearly a thousand yards, all right. So the the, the option, the opportunities are there. State's receivers have got to take advantage of them. If they're better, if they're better there this year, they can be a nine ten win team. If they're not, they're going to struggle to get to six. It, it, it really is. It is really that simple for me, anyway. So uh, we'll talk about the uh, we'll talk about the tight ends a little bit. We'll mainly do offensive line uh, next week. I'll do that anyway. You won't. You won't be yeah, here. Yeah, I'm gonna. I mean, I'll be with you the rest of this week, of course. But yeah, I'm about to have a two two week break from you. Uh, well, you know, people I, need that every now. I'll, and then. I'll see you. You know. Oh, you'll yeah, see me plenty. But, yeah. What do you see? By the way, we haven't really talked about this. So today, as you're listening, Joel and I are going to be on campus for what is a first for us. Yeah. The first ever media football clinic is being held. Joe Moorhead has invited us to campus, uh, and what he's going to do is evidently he's just going to take us through. His game prep. We're going to watch some film with him. We're going to be at the chalkboard uh, to go over some plays. Um, we'll have a and a session with him. So it should be a lot of fun. I'm, we'll do some video and things like that. It'll be it'll be cool. Uh, but I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, and it's going to be fun. We'll, we'll talk a lot about that on tomorrow's show. <clears throat> yeah, and, that, and that's really cool of Joe, too. And, and it's another one of those reasons. And, and look, maybe I'm a softy, but look, I enjoy being treated like a human being and being treated well. And, uh, for, for, you know, these Mississippi State coaches – really treat us pretty well you know and for joe to do this and and just kind of have a day to kind of hang out and and you know let's be honest there's a lot about college football that even though i write about it talk about it and a lot of that behind the scenes stuff you know we don't get to see that and and we're kind of going to get a taste of some of that um today as we listen it's really cool of joe to do this nobody asked him to do it nobody you know as far as i know no media member has been, you know, beating on his door asking for it, but he just wanted yeah, he to do this. And, this yeah. and uh, you know, he's been really cool with us since the day he was hired. And and, and that 
you know, you and I have sat here on this podcast and questioned his future and done done several things. I'm sure we've had tweets before that kind of said, what's he thinking kind of stuff and, and things like that. It's really cool that when you have a coach that can understand that we have our job to do, he has his job to do, and then you can still kind of put all that aside and do stuff like we're going to do today yeah. and, and get to go over there and hang out. Because I, I, mean, I have no idea what to expect. Like, I don't know what – I don't really – I mean, it's the first either, time for it, us, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, some people thought that – I told some people about this, and they thought we were going to do like a – you know, we're going to do some athletic stuff. I was like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, no, I'm not running any routes. So are you going to point to Cowan Hill in the backfield and be like, Joe? What about him? <laughs> it's, you know, have you ever thought about maybe giving him the ball – more, more. So yeah, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> that is gonna, it's gonna be a lot of fun. It will. It should be. All right, let's switch gears here and let's talk about Texas A and M. That's uh, where we are on the opponent preview series. And the Aggies uh, coming off a what a, a eight and five season. I think they lost their bowl game. I have to double check that. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have that right in front of me. Um, year year two of Jimbo Fisher. Um, I like what I saw from them at, at times. You know, they. I remember the game against Clemson. Where I mean, I thought they were getting blown out. They were nine and four. They did. They won their bowl game. I'm sorry. Oh, they crushed North Carolina State. What am I looking at? Uh, you know that game. I thought Clemson was going to just murder them, and it was really, really close. I thought Kellen Mond took a big jump uh, his uh, his sophomore year. Uh, they've got they've they lost some big playmakers, specifically Travion Williams, who's just been their bell cow for the past like two decades, from what I can tell. He was at A and M a long, long time. So. An interesting game and a game that you know MSU has had the upper hand in this series. So I asked uh, Jeff Tarpley, he covers the Aggies for 24-7, about give me a little preview. But more importantly, I wanted to ask him, why is it that you think MSU has been so successful against Texas A&M? You'll hear what he's got to say about that and a lot more about Texas A&M right now. Let's continue the opponent preview series, and we start with the first week of, uh, I guess it's the first week of November, and we talk about the Texas A&M Aggies. Joining me today, Jeff Tarpley from Gigum Twenty Four Seven over there on the Twenty Four Seven family of networks. For A and M, when when I've talked about them this year, I sort of feel like this is the year before the year. Like next year, I think is going to be the year where Jimbo Fisher really gets Texas A and M to take off. This year, just with the schedule, it's so tough with, with the playing. You know, Clemson, Georgia, and Alabama. Is that a fair assessment that you think that A and M, you know? Could be another eight and four, maybe a nine and three kind of year. But next year is the year where they they're going to take off. I think the two big things are one the schedule as you already mentioned, but two also A and M suffered a number of significant losses from that 2018 team. Guys like Jay Sternberger, Travion Williams, Kingsley Kiki, uh, the two linebackers Tyrell Dodson and the Terrell Lockett. They're not necessarily rebuilding this year, but they're reloading. And what everybody's going to really be wanting to see is that 2020 team because they lose so few people from this season. Uh, they're going to lose Justin Matabuki probably to the NFL draft, but that should be about it. I mean, in terms of significance, unless, say, Kellen Mond, the quarterback, has a great year, uh, declares early for the NFL draft, this is a team that's going to be really, really loaded for 2020 and should have a much, much better schedule. When you mentioned Kellen Mond, I don't know that any quarterback in the conference last season took a bigger step forward uh, than, than he did. I thought he was I, – I liked him. I thought he was a really good player. Uh, he showed you a lot that, that, that makes you think you can build around him. Can he take another step forward like that in his junior season? Well, what he's got to do is fix his accuracy issues. 
Uh, he was a 50%, 57% passer last year. He needs to push it above 60%, and he can do that just by being more consistent in his footwork and delivery. Uh, he, he's got the decision-making part of the job down. He runs the offense very, very well. He checks a lot of boxes that Jimbo Fisher wants to check in, in his quarterback. Uh, he's a leader. People respond to him. When the chips are down, you saw against Clemson and LSU, when he led those either game-time or potentially game-time drives, and he's a guy that doesn't fear the moment, so to speak. So really all he needs to do is, is kick his accuracy up about three to five percentage points, and you're looking at a guy who you know, is going to be a 3,500-yard passer, maybe if everything goes right, depending on how the running game goes, maybe a 4,000-yard total offense type quarterback. You mentioned uh, the offense. You mentioned Travion Williams, obviously gone. He's been such a big part of Texas A&M's offense the past couple of seasons. Who steps up to replace him? Who are some of the playmakers that we'll see for the Aggies this year? Jason Cor- Corbin was the primary backup last year, and he delivered you know, about five carries a game. He catched the football. His blocking got better as the year went on. So he's probably going to be the 1A back in this attack this year. The 1B back really depends on the health of Vernon Jackson, who's a 230-pound, he's just typical big back. Uh, he ran over people in the spring. He was very, very impressive and proved in terms of his pass pro catching the football. Yeah, he injured his neck during spring practice near the, near the time of the spring game, and now his future is in question. But A&M does have other guys behind him. Cordarian Richardson, who's another big back. He's 5'11", 240 pounds, relatively wide on his feet. He could be the big back uh, complement to Corbin. So A&M has answers to those questions. They just aren't sure yet, outside of Corbin probably, what those answers are going to be. Last season defensively, A&M was sort of a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde kind of situation. Really good against the run, not really good against the pass. Will they be better in the secondary this season? They should be. They, they've got some guys back who can really, really help. But Debbie on Renfro wasn't a shutdown corner last year, but he was a guy that everybody tended to avoid most of the time. Leon O'Neill really stepped up in the bowl game along with Derek Tucker at safety, and that was, a, you know, that position was an issue for A and M part of the time last season. They've got to get that cornerback spot opposite Renfro soft. Charles Oliver really struggled there last year. Miles Jones is a returnee who started the bowl game, missed the spring with an injury, should be back, should be in pretty good form. Junior college transfer Elijah Blades is a 4-4 type of guy who really plays the ball in the air well. That was an issue for A&M last year. If he can, if they can get him going, if they can get him into the starting lineup, uh, I think you're going to see a vastly improved secondary, at least in the corners, which will enable Mike Elko to play probably more man coverage than they did down the stretch and help out that run defense, which lost quite a few guys up front. When you look at this this series, the past few years, states won three of the last. I'm sorry, states won three in a row against Texas A&M and four of the last five since Johnny Menzel left uh, in 2013. What is it about Mississippi State that has troubled Texas A&M? Why are the Bulldogs seemingly built to beat the Aggies these past few years? Well, first of all, Mississippi State. They always have a very underrated amount of athletes in the program. You know, you saw last year where they had all the NFL draft choices. 
But this is a team that always has a lot of size, pretty good amount of speed. Dan Mullen made them into a very, very physical program, and that's something that the Aggies were not under Kevin Sumlin. Now, Jimbo Fisher started to rectify that last year. You saw that in the four-game winning streak down the stretch. Still going to take, you know, they're still not all the way there yet, but I think A&M has closed the gap from a physicality standpoint. It will be interesting to see, as the recruiting gets better, how they're going to do from a talent standpoint, uh, especially by 2020 when they have to go to Starkville. They struggled in Starkville, and next time around, you're going to be seeing a much bigger A&M team, a much more physical, much more talented A&M team in Starkville than what you saw in 2018. We'll see what happens uh, in 2019 when uh, the Bulldogs travel to College Station uh, in the first week of November. Jeff Tarpley, if you want to follow him on Twitter, he's at 247TARP if you want to keep up with the Aggies this year. And, of course, doing a lot of great work over there at Gigum 24-7, man. Thanks for joining me. We appreciate it. No problem. Thanks, brother. All right, thanks to Jeff for taking some time out of his day. He's up in New York while we were doing this interview, so he was—he was—I he, think he's actually on vacation. So very, very grateful for his time. Let's mm, go over to Brooklyn, watch some. Brooklyn he was Cyclones in Brooklyn baseball. He was in Brooklyn when hey, we did the interview. <laughs> Funny story—I don't think you'll mind me telling—but uh, the first time I called him, uh, he it didn't go through, and then he called me back, and he was like, "I was at the Transit Museum, which is underground." So <laughs> the call didn't go through. I was like, "That makes sense then." Uh, I'll ask you what I asked him, though. You know, what what is it about this series that's allowed Mississippi State to have the advantage? Is it as simple as what he said? State's just been the more physical team the past four or five years. Uh, yeah, I guess so. You know, it, it is really kind of odd that State, against some pretty good A and M teams, has has owned them really post Johnny Manziel. If Nick Fitzgerald and, played uh, Texas A and M every game, he'd have won three Heisman trophies. Yeah, no doubt, and. Uh, I don't know. It's it's just one of those football oddities, I yeah. guess. And um, you, you know, State has kind of historically the last few years put put A and M on that late season slide, hadn't they? Hadn't State yeah. kind of been the the, That's sort the of beginning been, point yeah. for and, their? And it, it, again, you know, November has always been this month. Last year was different. A and M, you know, they lost to State, uh, and then they lost to Auburn. And so you're thinking, okay, here it comes. Then they won four in a row. Now, they didn't play the tough – they played Ole Miss and UAB. Now, it was a good UAB team, but they beat them pretty easily. Then they had that ridiculous win over LSU. And then they, they crushed North Carolina State in their bowl game, 52-13. to So that was a you know a good turnaround. You think about years past, and A&M has always struggled so much in the uh, the final month. And this in November last year, they were 3-1. and one. So Well, here's also go ahead. the thing about State kind of owning them a little bit. I know that – Probably in the media landscape, and I guess it's because of all that A&M money or whatever, but A&M is viewed probably as the more prestigious football program yeah. over Mississippi State. But on the field, State has been an equal to Texas A&M since they've been, pretty much since they've been in the conference, right? I mean, I know A&M played for the, when Manziel was there, they were well, but, yeah, upper I mean, tier, but since yeah. he's been gone, I mean, State and A&M's been, it's not like A&M is this program well, the last well, few years. Just, I mean, just look at the, the, the records. You know, take away, like I said, when... Uh, Manziel left in thirteen. So in fourteen, AM was eight and five. State was ten and three. Uh fifteen, state was nine and four, AM was eight and five. Yeah. Sixteen, eight and five, five and seven, or six and seven, but state beat AM. Uh seventeen, seven and six, state was uh nine and four, and then last year nine and four, eight and five. Well, I mean the simple answer is over the last half decade, state's been the better football program. Yeah. The bottom line. That's yeah. why state's been dominating the series. And 
you know, it's just how it is. Now, is that going to change now that Jimbo has been there for a year? And, you know, or is Joe going to have State on the upward plight and State stays a little bit better a football program than they? I don't know, but I do think that the simple answer to the question, why State kind of dominated A&M in recent years, well, State's been the better program in recent years. One of the interesting factoids, for whatever reason, since they've come to the SEC, A&M has not had a great home field advantage. They 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 just have not been. They're I think they're only like three or four games above five hundred in the SEC. Last year was the first time they got through their SEC home slate unscathed. They had Kentucky, uh, Ole Miss, and LSU. Uh, and of course, they always play that neutral site game with Arkansas. It takes the home game away from them. So, you know, interesting to see. You know, traveling to College Station State won there two years ago. Won pretty easily there two years ago. So, for me, you know, right now I've got this game in the toss ups kind of category. I do think right now if you said you have to pick, I would take A&M to win the game. But I won't be completely surprised at all if we get to November and we're talking about State going over there and getting another win over Texas Yeah, State. and I mean, if you had to pick a line for that game right now, what is it, like three? Three and a half, yeah. four and a half, something like that. Less than a touchdown probably. I mean, that's what I would pick. Now, yeah. I, Vegas would probably tell you it's probably closer to a touchdown or more just because they're going to look at the names. you know. And, and But for me, I think right now it would be a close loss for MSU, but I, I could – once I see Tommy Stevens, I'll tell you what I think of this game. And it's probably a game that if it was played down the road here, you'd, you'd think State I might flip around. If, if it was in Starkville, yeah, I would probably think differently. So, and this is the thing that I remember most vividly about last year's game is how good Fitzgerald looked passing the ball. That's what lets you know A and M's biggest weakness last year—they could not stop the pass. So, if State's better against the pass this year, you know, we talked. I asked Jeff about that and about A and M secondary, and he thinks it'll be improved. But if State's also improved in the, in the, in the passing game, chance for MSU to win because. I still I agree with what he said. I think A and M's probably a year away from a team that looks like Mississippi State. You know, they were a finesse team under someone. You got to recruit. You got to recruit out of that. Fisher's getting there, but you know, it's it's a it's a process for sure for him. Just for me with A and M, we talked about them what on Monday show when we did a preview. I mean, their ceiling is eight and four. Just because I cannot see them beating Clemson, Georgia, Alabama, or LSU. Yeah. So I mean, they could be they could be a top ten team at eight and four in my opinion. You know, I think that's fair. That's, yeah. that's fair. I mean, I they yeah. could be nine and three. You could beat LSU. They could beat LSU at, at LSU. That's going to be tough. Yeah, it's at LSU. It's so just going to be tough. You know. But anyway, we'll see. All right, tomorrow's show. Uh, let's see. We have a box score of uh, Mississippi State, Kansas State, and oh no, we'll, we'll save that for Friday show because tomorrow show we'll, we'll recap a little bit more of what we talked about with Joe Moorhead. Yeah. We'll get, we'll and get quite frankly, I don't know where that's going to go. Don't know what I have no idea what to expect. I'm excited, so we'll see what he, what which coach has ready for us uh, tomorrow. Guys, have a great Wednesday, and we'll talk to you again on Thursday morning for Joel T. Coleman. Woo. I'm Brian Haydad. Thanks for listening to Thunder and Lightning on Super Talk. Talk Mississippi Media Production.